Welcome back to Aliyah Yomi. Today we're going to be learning Shmini Shishi, the sixth Aliyah of Pasha Shmini. The topic of our Aliyah is kosher animals, and it is a long Aliyah, 32 psukim running from Perigyul Adav, Pasuk Aleph to Lamed Beis. We have a very general overview, and then we'll look at some of the basic points to ponder. So first we hear that Hashem turns to Moshe and Aaron and tells them the following. Note that Aaron is included as the audience over here, not just Moshe. It's something which relates to Kohanim, not just to the rest of Israel as well. They're supposed to tell the nation of Israel about the types of animals they are allowed to eat and the types of animals they are not allowed to eat. So first we hear about terrestrial animals, land-based animals. And we hear that the two conditions for being able to be eaten or consumed is mafreses parsa, the shosas shesa, um, that it has split hooves, and maalei geira, and it also has to chew the cud, which means it brings its food up for an, an ex- a, a additional digestion process, usually something found in domesticated animals. Um, then um, the, we're told that it has to have both of those. The Torah does note that there are a few exceptions. So the Torah notes that there are in three animals which, in fact, do chew its cud, but they do not have split hooves. The examples the Torah gives is the camel, the hyrax, and the hare. Those cannot be eaten. The Torah then indicates that the pig is the opposite. The pig actually has split hooves, so outwardly it looks kosher, but internally it does not chew the cud and is also therefore excluded. We then move on to, to, to aquatic life. So we hear about all the animals that live in the water. And the conditions here are different, naturally. That it is only something which is a snapir, the cascases bamayim. And if it has a fin and scale, uh, would it be allowed to be consumed? If it does not, it cannot be consumed. And it's called, it's a, it therefore, sheretzamayim. It is something which is considered a creepy crawly of the waters, Sheketz Heim they are disgusting to you. Then we hear about the third category of, um, of animals, and this is avian life. This is bird life. And what's interesting over here is that the Torah actually does not give us a criterion. It does not tell us the rules. It gives us a list of examples of what is not included. So there's a very long list over here, and using the translation of Rav Aryeh Kaplan in the Living Torah. What is excluded is the eagle, the ossifrage, the osprey, the kite, the vulture family, the raven family, the ostrich, the owl, the gull, the hawk family, the malkin, cormorant, ibis, swan, pelican, magpie, stork, heron, hoopoe, and bat um, are all excluded from what one is able to eat. Um, Chazal, we'll get to that in a moment, do try to get a common denominator among the birds. We'll get to that later on. And then finally, the Aliyah close off with the fourth category of, of creature, and that is the category which is called a Sheretz, which is a creepy crawly. And the Torah lists eight different creepy crawlies over here at the end of our Aliyah, which are to be precluded from our eating. And these small animals are, um, as translated again by Rabbi Aria Kaplan, the weasel, the mouse, the ferret, the hedgehog, the chameleon, the lizard, the snail, and the mole. And they are, all, all these animals are described in this Aliyah as being impure for consumption and impure when they die. Their carcasses, their remains, will be metame, will impurify a person as well. Any vessel which comes into contact with them will need to be cleaned and will need to be fixed where, um, by going through a process of mikveh, or a process of purifying. 
Now, a few basic points to ponder. First is that the Gemara, towards the beginning of Pesachim, does talk about the importance of euphemism. So the Gemara explains how the Torah went out of its way to use extra words in Parshas Noach when describing the non-kosher animals to call him the Abahema Asher Ernenu Tohara, the animal which is not pure. That's a euphemism for saying it is impure, it is disgusting, it is disgraceful. Rather than saying that, the Torah goes out of its way to add the extra letters in order to preserve the dignity of those animals. The question Rabbi Avram Rivlin asks on that Gemara is the following. The Mashkiach of Kerem Yavne for many, many years says that, wait a second, so in Parsha Shmini, the Torah is pretty straight about it. It's pretty clear about what it says. It, does, it calls these animals Temeim Heimelochem. They are impure. So what happened to euphemism? Rabbi Rivlin explains that there's a time for euphemism and there's a time for, uh, for straight talk. When we're describing something, when we're describing what animals need to go on this trip, what animals need to be saved, then it's not necessary to go and describe them as impure. We can describe them as animals which are not pure, with animals which are aneno tohara. But when we talk about dietary laws, we're talking about what, what it is that's pure, what's not pure, and we need to know very explicitly, then euphemism is not on, this is not the right place for euphemism. The Torah needs to be direct. Important rule in life in general. Not every conversation needs to happen. Not every conversation needs to happen the way it does happen. One has to uh, have the sensitivity that the Torah has as well. Both, in both situations. Now, why is this parasha here at all? So just without going much further, it would seem that, th- that the Torah is clearly talking about one of the prime themes of Parshas Shmini, as we'll see, it's in fact the last pasuk of the Torah, and it's mentioned numerous times, is lahavdil, to divide. There are domains. There's domains of what is acceptable, what is not acceptable, what is pure, what is impure. We've talked about that, and not enough you did not understand that fully. Therefore, when they transgressed, when they stepped over their boundary, they died. And those boundaries were reasserted there afterwards. Now we're talking about new boundaries. So clearly this parasha is, is, is educating us to boundaries and the two parts of the parasha are interconnected. There are now other ideas over here. So the Chassam Soifer says a very interesting idea. And he says that in fact, the Isur, the prohibition of eating the pig, The pig it's, was in a certain sense in the balance as to whether it be pure or impure. But after the Chet of um, of not of an avil. At that point in time, there was an increase in impurity in the world, and those creatures which were, so to speak, on the fence, now fell into being fully impure. So this parasha, in a certain sense, is a consequence of the actions beforehand, because human actions do affect the spiritual nature of the world around us. That's the Chassam Sofer says, which is why this parasha is placed here as a consequence. The Sorna says that perhaps the reason why this parasha is put here is for a different reason. And that is, is that up to now the Torah has talked to, our, to, talked to, to us and um, given us all the laws, the Mishkan, the Korbanos, the sacrifices, the sanctuary, all the different halachas. Now the Torah is now moving outwards and saying, well, what does a society with a Mikdash in the middle look like? How is that society governed? How do the regular proletariats on a day-to-day basis, where they're not going to the, the sanctuary, how do they eat? What do they consume? What is allowed? What is not allowed? In fact, Rav Hirsch, who drives, drives us this point a little further, points out that from Parshas Truma all the way till now, with perhaps the exception of the beginning of Parshas Kisisa, we essentially have these five Parshas at the end of Sefer Shmois, and then the first two and a half Parshas of Sefer Vayikra are about the sanctuary and the operations of that sanctuary, the sacrifices. Everything has been focused on that epicenter of the nation of Israel. And yet now we, we expa- zoom outwards, we expand the the space of what it means to be a person who lives in a holy society. And it's not just what happens in the confines of that sanctuary, it's what happens outside. 
How is purity, how, how is holiness extended to our very lives, our very daily lives? And that's what this parish is, which is why it follows on from this. It's quite remarkable to notice this is the first set of laws outside of the Mishkan that we've seen essentially in eight parashi, in, in eight parashiyas. That's a remarkable thing to think about. Now, what is the significance of kosher food? So, like, why is the Torah? Why is this so important? The Chassam Sofer says that that don't far from thinking that perhaps this is uh, that that really one can eat er- everything and then God is restricting certain things from us. It's actually the other way around as well. He is allowing us to eat certain things, meaning God is giving us the license to eat kosher food. Who said we had the license? The default in the first place is that we should not be able just to eat what it is that we want. If you want to eat meat, you want to eat another creature. Well, God says to you, you want to eat a moving animate object, not just plants. Remember back in Noach, when the Parshish Noach, when this was given to us? Well, here are the prerequisites for that eating, which means to say everything over here is being allowed. It's not that the disallowing is the default, because that's where it starts from. Rav Hirsch points out a very important thing, and this is something which is worthwhile noting, that today, there's an interesting statistical point, that although less than 2% of Americans are Jewish, and not all Jews, in fact 80-85% to 85% don't even eat kosher, why is it that 46% of the packaged goods in America are in fact kosher? So there are numerous reasons, and one of those is that actually the Muslim population also eats from kosher food. So if they cannot get halal, they will rely on kosher food. That's one aspect of it. But it's also worthwhile noting that there are many other consumers who also gravitate towards kosher food, some for positive health or or taste perceptions or for vegetarian reasons, certain research has shown. Others also understand that the, the cleanliness standards in companies and the facilities will be higher when there is a, a outside organization which is certifying it. However, points out Rav Hirsch, that none of that is the reason why the Torah actually did this. The Torah did not tell us to keep kosher because of all those side benefits, or for the reason for those other 44% of people in America who are eating kosher, not for the sake of, not for the sake of it being kosher. So w- why is it? So the Rav Hirsch explains that it's, the Torah is very explicit about this, is tamei hu lachem. It is impure. It is spiritually impure. It is not good for you morally. It's going to corrupt you internally. And that's very important because what essentially that means to say is it's not going to be measurable necessarily with physical instrumentation. It's not going to be something it may add up to. It may also be analogous in certain cases to being healthy, but that's not the point. And in fact, it is a very specific expression of the statement made in Parshas Yisra when Hashem gave us the Torah. That you are a holy nation. You're a nation of the priests and a holy nation. What does that look like? Well, it looks like the way you eat. It looks like what you put in your mouth, what you don't put in your mouth. That's the expression of what's going on over here. Now, um, are non-kosher animals in, and kosher animals inherently different? Interestingly enough, the Ramban, Nachmanides, has a number of comments which would indicate that, yes, there is something inherently different. So, for instance, he points out that any fish which does not have the fins of the scales actually is able to, to dive to deeper depths in the ocean. Anything which has fins and scales usually swims at higher levels, generally speaking. And he says this is in order um, to avoid what he calls this lachus, 
this this a type of leichus, which is a type of wetness or coldness, which is a, a, a indicator of spiritual impurity. Similarly, with the birds, he points out that Chazal, quoting the Gemara in Chulun and Daphne and Tess, say that one of the categorizations of all that cluster of birds that were disallowed is that it disallows any bird which is dores, any carnivorous bird which kills other birds. You'll notice that any of the birds that we are able to eat are birds which are domesticated, generally speaking, and are vegetarians, generally speaking, not, not killers of other birds. And why is that? And the Rabban says, because Hashem wants to avoid us consuming things which have the chumam l'achazuriyosoi, that have this this heat, this passion of cruelty, which is being avoided. So Ramban says there is something which is actually trying to be, um, we're trying to protect ourselves from spiritually, even if perhaps not measurable as well. The Sefer Achinoch makes an interesting point, that he says that the, bot- the body is the platform for the neshama. And if that is the case, then to the degree that the body is aligned to spiritual values, will it be able to carry the neshama in the correct way? However, when a person will invest in that body things which are, which essentially will affect that body in a negative way, it will also affect the soul as well. And therefore, there are certain what we'll call physical health benefits, but it's really actually ultimately a spiritual health benefit, which has been described over here. This is the Sefer Achinoch in Mitzvah Kuf Mem Zion. It's also worthwhile noting over here that there is a notion of what's called Tim Tum Halev, which is based on the Medrash Agada here in our parsha in Perik Yud Aleph in, in Shmini. Um, it also appears in Gemara Yuma Daf Lamentes, in which it describes that a person who consumes a a a, a product which is not kosher has an element of Tim Tum Halev. Now that does not mean to say cholesterol. That is referring to the spiritual blocking up of the pathways of understanding and appreciation in this world. Um, there is an interesting discussion as to whether that is because of the avera, the transgression, or because of the actual food itself. Now, medically speaking, it's very hard to attribute and say that if a person ate, you know, pig meat versus cow meat, that there is specifically there are you know specific physical symptoms of degeneration, which lead us to to, to the conclusion that it is most likely the avera which is transgressed, which therefore has certain ramifications. And that is that perhaps if a person was an Ones, a person did this against their will, or a person did this when there was a Betul Barov, that it was not a majority. Um, in those instances, perhaps the Tim Tomalev would not be there to the same degree as well. So just worthwhile thinking about whether there is a notion of Tim Tomalev as blocking up the spiritual pathways of appreciation of the world will in fact be true and extant in a case where it was against a person's will. A lot of interesting thoughts to appreciate. This is obviously a very packed alley and usually the central point where people focus on when thinking about Parsha Shmini, but it clearly is thematic to the rest of the Parsha as well. In the meantime, have a wonderful, meaningful day.